0: And I'll invite you to open up with me to Matthew chapter 26. And traditionally, the theme uh, this Sunday of Advent that we are um, remembering is, is joy. And yet we're just working through the book of Matthew together. We've been just faithfully going through uh, the passages. And today we come to one of the least joyful passages I could think of. Uh, in the scripture. And I wrestled with it this week and thought, well, you know what? It's the word. And yet at the same time, because of this least joyful passage that we're about to dig into today, we have joy. Without it, we wouldn't actually know joy without the sacrifice of Jesus. And so really, what we're going to go through today is the foundation of, of our joy. So Welcome here this morning. Um, I just want to pray before we get into the word today, and uh, and we'll dig in. Father, we thank you for being our God. You created everything that we see, and uh, certainly you are magnificent, far beyond any one of us. And you've given us your word that we would know you, see you, We would be able to know your will and obey you, and it's good. So Lord, today as we focus in on your word, I pray by the Holy Spirit that we would have a revelation of Jesus, who you are, of our Father and who you are, and how we can fit into your grand story. We thank you, Jesus, and our attention is yours. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're in Matthew chapter 26, and um, we just came through a election season in Manitoba, and not that long ago, and uh, or not in Manitoba, in Canada, uh, not that long ago, and uh, it feels like the distant distant past. But um, don't worry, I'm not going to say anything dumb. Um, <laughs> just the tense, just got tense in this room because I said something about politics. We came through an election uh, season, and as elections happen, um, have you ever heard a politician tell you and highlight all of their failures before an election happens? Have you ever had that? No, never, of course. You want to maximize your strengths and minimize your weaknesses, right? Minimize your failures. No one would ever stand up in front of a crowd and say, today I promised this. Ten months ago I said something different, but today it's this. Nobody would ever, that could be true, but nobody would ever say that. Yet we get into the word of God and we see the leaders of the Jesus movement after Jesus went to sit at the right hand of the Father. We see these disciples portrayed as complete and utter failures. You think of Peter going town to town, Matthew going town to town, preaching the good news, and, and probably the only thing they would have had later on to go on, um, the people in this town, for what these guys are all about, is, is much, of, much of what they would have heard, but also they would have had some of these texts. Imagine this Peter guy who you've, who you've just read about fail over and over and over, and now he's the leader of this. Of this movement, I just think it's it's funny to think about and and something for us to remember. This is the Gospel of Matthew that we're in, right? Matthew, oh, this—he's that tax collector, and he was grouped up with a bunch of fishermen and a zealot and some just common people, and then they were starting this movement of Jesus after he was gone, and they're come, highlighted as complete uh, failures in this Gospel. And I think that's really something important. And I'm not even going to explain it fully right now. Something just to put in your minds as we continue to read this scripture together. And the history of Christianity emphasizes the failure of its leaders. Not Jesus, but everybody else. These guys were going town to town sharing that good news. And they were made to look like bumbling fools. And it's backwards. You would never go to a job interview and share all your weaknesses. Or maybe you would. Chances are you probably wouldn't get the job, and, unless you had a very godly boss, maybe. I don't know. Um, but today, we see this self-promotion totally backwards. And, and it's really in full force here, as we read this passage, how totally inept the disciples were. We've seen it, like, so many times. We're just like, oh, seriously, guys? Right? And today, it, it's, it's big. So hold this in mind as we read the passage today, because it has big implications for us as his disciples as well. It says something about us, what we're doing here today. And at the same time, it teaches us about Jesus and his character. So I just want to remind you where we're coming from. Uh, we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 26 today, and we're going to start at verse thirty. Um, we just came out of last week, uh, the Last Supper. If you're, if you're visiting today, welcome here. We've been working through the book of Matthew, so it all ties together. Um, so uh, we've been, we just came out of Jesus having Passover meal with his disciples. And, um, and that is where we're going to pick it up today. Oh. So after supper... They sing a song, and they go out to the Mount of Olives. They're leaving the house they were at, having the, the last supper. And then Jesus says to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So they finished the Passover meal, where Jesus, remember, he communicated the depths of what his death would mean. And, and now they're walking along to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus says, guys, this is going to be a bad night. Guys, this is going to be a really bad night. You guys are going to fail me big time. And so as we've been going through Matthew, everything is ramping up. Remember, it's going to the cross. So for Jesus, this isn't a surprise everything that's going to happen. He knows what is coming at this point. But Jesus knows what's coming, but it, it, he knows also that it fits in with God's plan. It fits in with God's plan and will and purposes. And he, he quotes the prophet Zechariah as an explanation that, is, that this is needed, that this is necessary, and that it's actually God's will. That's what I will strike the shepherd. He's quoting uh, the prophet Zechariah. And so there will be a striking of the shepherd, which is Jesus. But he assures him, do you see? After I'm raised up, he assures them at the same time that he will rise. That's our good news. Amen. That's our we know the end story already. That's good news. Let's keep reading. Peter answered him. So he says, you guys are going to fall away because of me. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. <laughs> and once again, we see Peter and it's just like, man, Peter. Peter's response, you can just feel him like, yes, I got you. I got you, Jesus. I'll be here for you. I will never deny you. I'll never deny you. And that sounds good. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, before morning time, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. So we see Jesus' response, and he says, actually, you're going to deny me three times tonight. And Peter says, no, no, there's no way. I will not deny. I would die for you. I would put my life on the line for you, Jesus. And everybody around hears this, and yeah, me too, me too. Yeah, we're we're in. We're in to the end, Jesus. We're in. We're in. And so this story is a defining moment in the history of, of Jesus' story. Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. We know these pivot moments in the scripture. We know of the cross. We know of the empty grave. We know of Pentecost in Acts 2, these defining moments in the history of Jesus' moving on the earth. Christmas is celebrated because Jesus came, God in the flesh. There's these moments, and, and I would love to add this moment in Gethsemane to that list as vital for us to understand who Jesus is. This passage re- is going to reveal to us something incredibly unique about Jesus that that is not as apparent in other passages. And so, we learn a lot about Jesus, but this piece in the garden is so special. And so they're in this garden, and in the midst of this olive grove, this orchard, you can picture there, they're, they're out of town, and um, they're in this orchard. Jesus says, okay, you guys sit here, and I'm going to go over there to pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, who are those guys? James and John good right on so taking with him Peter James and John he began to be sorrowful and troubled sorrowful and troubled so he grabs three guys his closest even within the 12 his closest friends and he grabs these guys and they they go with him and then Jesus starts to lose it he says he it says he began to be sorrowful but we don't, we don't really explain. You know, I'm just so, so, I had a sorrowful week. We don't use that language very much these days, do we? But there was a deep anguish of the soul, the word tells us, that Jesus was experiencing and, and going through here. Jesus, Jesus was deeply sorrowful and troubled. He was deeply struggling and suffering. And we see a side of Jesus here that we haven't seen yet in Matthew. In Jesus' humanity, because he is God, but he is man, he laid us, he he humbled himself to become a man. In his humanity, Jesus is terribly troubled. Uh, Many scholars, as they study uh, the wording that is used here, uh, at this point, almost would describe what Jesus goes through in this garden almost as a panic attack. Now, a panic attack to me sounds more erratic, but the depth of anguish of soul is, is there. And we, it's, it's important for us to know this. Jesus, God in the flesh, is in anguish in his soul. Then Jesus said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Guys, just stay awake. Just stay awake and be here with me. So far as we've watched Jesus interact with his disciples and as they've traveled around, Jesus is the rock. He's just so solid and he's so composed. We've seen him in many different settings and he's just so solid. We've never seen him like this. We've seen him angry, joyful, compassionate, but always just a rock, whatever they faced, right? Sleeping in storms. In this moment, though, it seems as if Jesus emotionally crumbles. Let that sink in, okay? It seems as if Jesus emotionally crumbles, and this can be very uncomfortable for us. It's a private setting. It's his three closest friends in the dark of night, and Jesus just breaks down in agony. He breaks down in agony. We don't like too often to think of Jesus in this way, but this is what happened. This is powerful for us today because as Jesus identifies with the brokenness and agony, he is identifying with the human experience, and he is entering into it fully. Though he was God, he fully embraced the humility of, of becoming a human and walking it out. Can you imagine being the disciples in this moment? Can you imagine being there, Peter, James, and John, watching your rabbi, your leader, your teacher, the guy you've placed your entire stock in, you've been following him for three years, the guy who can perform miracles, and the guy who's just been so solid in the crazy, craziest of circumstances, and you're on these adventures together, and, and then all of a sudden you see him and he's just breaking down in front of you? Guys, just stay up with me. My soul is in anguish even to death. Just stay up with me. Can you imagine being there? I don't know your story, but if you've ever had someone in your life, maybe a mom or a dad, that you just like, they were just the pillar for you, that, that strength, that rock, maybe a parent or a grandparent, a friend, and how much of a shock it can be to witness them broken. Uh, For many, it is growing up for you, for for your parents. And eventually, maybe you're 10, 11, you see your parent just broken. Broken. I remember seeing seeing my mother just weeping on the floor. And my sense of stability is now broken in front of me. Picture that for these disciples. Their sense of stability going through this right now. Because when that kind of thing happens, your stability is shaken in that moment. Because Jesus had been stability in every way for these disciples for the last three years. And honestly, he's stability for anyone who calls themselves a disciple here today as well. But in this moment, he is so deeply crushed and upset at the agony that he is about to go through. Okay? This isn't just some legal transaction that he had to go through. This is a real personal thing that Jesus had to go through. It seems Jesus has no words of his own. And so he borrows an idea, a thought from a psalm when he says he's sorrowful even to death. And he's borrowing from Psalm chapter 42. And it's really telling when you see the psalm why Jesus chose to explain his sorrow in this way. It says, this is Psalm 42. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My salvation and my God. So as we consider the thread of this psalm, it reveals the depth of what Jesus is going through. He is unglued at the beginning. What, he just? Why have you forgotten me, God? Why am I mourning? And then it seems as if he's he's talking to himself. Why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Put your hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God put your hope in in god and this is a good journey to go through but it's certainly this is this does not negate this ending at put your hope in god but it does not negate the emotion of going through what's going on right it does not take that away and so jesus wants his closest friends to stay awake with him you know i remember i was in a grade 12, and one of my closest friends, his dad passed away very suddenly uh, when we were that age, and I remember uh, just sitting and staying up with him uh, all night that first night, and then just staying for days together, with, just, just hanging out, and just being each other's company, because there's, there's something about that, right? So Jesus wants his best friends in this moment of darkness— his moment of struggle, and he just wants them to just be with him. So after he asks his friends to stay up, he he then goes to the father, and watch what happens. Going a little farther, he fell on his face, and he prayed. Have you ever had so much grief that you just fall down? You just can't handle it. You just flat out, you just can't, can't handle this. You can't move. You can't hardly function that kind of grief. I know that there's a lot in this room that have. I know that there are. Many of you have. And it's in this moment that we see Jesus too. In a sense, it's hard to imagine outside of our own hard times and darkness and suffering. Outside of that, it's hard to imagine But Jesus goes, and he falls on his face, and he prays, I don't want to do this, but I trust you, Father. He says, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I don't want to do this, but I trust you, and I will go ahead if this is your plan. What an honest prayer, right? I want to free you today to have those kind of honest prayers with, Our Father. Notice the echo too here of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught his disciples Your will be done, right? May your will be done. It's Jesus' prayer. So Jesus is in agony. He gets alone with his closest friends. He falls to his face and he just pours out his heart to his Father and he prays. And he prays what he taught us to pray. And therein, Jesus is setting the ultimate example for us all. Is it news to him that he would die? No, he's been been telling us since chapter 16 that he's going to die. But the reality of this agony is real. And it's something that, that even Jesus had to process. Okay? And he says, remove this cup from me or let this cup pass from me. In the prophetic scripture, in the Old Testament, the cup of God is speaking of God's wrath, which is poured out, and a separation from the presence of God. That's what the cup is talking about, okay? It's not merely the physical death, which was gruesome, yes. It's not merely the physical death that was so troublesome to Jesus. But he was asking that the separation from his father would not happen. That that is the deepest sorrow. Agony That this separation and this cup of God's wrath would be poured out on him. Which is why it's cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? He was receiving that cup. He was receiving that. And oh, the depths of agony that would be. And so this is super important for us today. To see Jesus... As a man, wrestling with human emotion and will. And will. The word actually tells us that Jesus learned obedience. That he was obedient to the Father. That he passed the test of the temptation as we looked at a year ago. Jesus had will. But he chose the will of his Father. And he obeyed to the end. Though Jesus suffered and he deeply struggled with the Father's will and what it meant for him in this moment, remember that Jesus never sinned. I want us to remember this, that Jesus never sinned, yet he struggled and he wrestled through stuff, okay? He was honest before God, but he chose the Father's will over his own. And I think this is huge for us. Suffering and struggling and the emotions and the inner turmoil that comes with it is inevitable, It happens in this life. It's part of the curse that is not done away with yet. We live with the effects of it. Jesus has victory over it, but he's coming to establish it forever one day. Looking forward to that, amen? But suffering and struggling is inevitable. And so it's what we do with it that defines how we stand before the Father. It's what we do with that struggle Are we going to be like the wife of Job in the Old Testament, who when Job found himself in incredible suffering and agony, she said, just curse God and die. Because people go that route. And you can go that route. But that is not a good route. Because the other option is we could say, I don't like this. God, please don't. I don't want to go through this. But I trust your plan. And I trust that it's good. And I trust that you're faithful. And may your will be done despite how I feel. Despite how I feel. And so the disciples, as we talked about, they failed a lot, right? They went with feelings a lot. And if we're honest, if I asked how many people did that here, every hand should go up. Because we all do it. And we, we do it as disciples of Jesus, even. Yet in this moment of seeming weakness of Jesus, he actually shows that he is steady and sure. Isn't that crazy? It actually shows us that even though what we would look at as negative and weak emotions, Jesus actually is as steady and sure and solid foundation as ever. He is as composed and confident as ever. And I love that about him. I love that about him. Jesus as a man suffered and he surrendered his will to the Father as he wrestled with the grief. And so this is a raw moment of Jesus' humanity on full display. So if you are a human being here today, who's a human being here today? All right, good. Yeah. I have a word for you then. Everybody. I want us to to pause for a second. I, I want to say this. Don't buy the lie that negative human emotion is the absence of the spirit or even go as far as to think it is sinful. Don't go there. Many end up there. Many. I'm, I know I sit with people, and they, because of their feelings, they feel like God is either gone or they've left God. Don't go there. Don't buy that lie that negative human emotion is the absence of the Holy Spirit or think that it is sinful. So many Christians live in this perpetual sense of shame because they think that if they truly knew God better, they wouldn't go through emotional turmoil when they do suffer. No, be free from that shame today. Be free from that shame today, okay? And the flip side of this, this, that's not permission to sit in those emotions. It's not permission to resign yourself to pity either. To just sit there. But follow the way of Jesus. Be honest. Come to the Father. Don't sit in, in the mire. And don't sin either in the heat of the moment. Don't choose sin because of feelings. Bring everything to God and stay faithful to his will above all else. Amen? Even if it means pain and sorrow for you, be faithful to the Father's will, no matter what. No matter what. If it means pain and sorrow, get on your face and pray. Get on your face and pray. Even agonizing prayer seek the Father's will, and resolve to stay right there. Because your feelings, your feelings don't define your identity. They certainly do not have to dictate your future. They don't. They don't. They are strong, but they do not have that kind of control over you. They don't. So let's keep reading. So Jesus came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus returns and he finds his guys sleeping. Guys, please stay with me. Jesus is still in this place. He's, he's agonizing prayer and he's, he's in turmoil, Right? come on, Peter, come on. Pray you might not enter into temptation, Peter. Again, part of the Lord's prayer, right? Don't enter into temptation. See, Peter was going to have his own moment soon. It was coming. This wasn't his moment because he didn't understand the depths of what was coming, but Peter would have his moment, and he would have it soon, and Jesus wanted him to pray. Because as we'll see, Peter is going to actually epically fail that test in, in just a, a few moments. Jesus seems to say that prayer is actually where the victory is won. That's huge for us. Prayer, this garden, is where the victory of the cross and potentially even Peter would have been won. He, and Jesus proves it as he goes to the cross. And Peter proves it. Because he didn't pray, because he was sleeping, and he goes and he fails. And their lack of prayer shows us the flip side of faithfulness. And so again, for the second time, Jesus went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And already we see Jesus starting to soften his prayer. It's close to the same, but he says, "If, If this cup can't, because I realize that this is necessary then your will be done. And so he realizes the necessity of what's about to happen, and he's coming to terms with it as he prays this prayer. And again, he came and found them sleeping. Come on! For their eyes were heavy. Just stay awake, you guys! But they just couldn't do it. Their eyes were heavy. They didn't grasp the depth of the moment that is happening here. Only afterwards afterwards would they see what was happening. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And Jesus continues to process with the father. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And it's here that we see that Jesus seems to have come through what he was working through. He's ready to embrace what is coming next, which is the cross. And he knows that Judas is coming, his betrayer is coming, and the time is here. So let's get up, guys. Let's go. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. And so here we go. The mob is assembled. Let's get rid of this false messiah, this blasphemer. Let's go. Let's get rid of this guy. And so they're coming with swords and with clubs. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man Seize him. That's a friendly greeting. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Judas, he gives a fake friendly greeting as he betrays his master. And notice Jesus's response. Friend, do what you came to do. Jesus was living his life of enemy love to the bitter end. I love him for that. Behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Gospel of John tells us, guess who that was? Peter. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? You guys know I've never hurt anyone, <laughs> basically, is where Jesus or is at here. Like, Jesus, Jesus is loving his enemies to the end. And yet again, Peter goes crazy and epically fails. He's been listening for three years about turning the other cheek as Jesus preaches the gospel of the kingdom from town to town. And yet again, Peter goes and cuts off a guy's ear. And I don't think he was aiming for the ear. Like nobody's that good. He was, he was aiming for the head. He was going for the guy's head. And he cuts off his ear. Jesus says, Peter, knock it off. This, this, is, this is supposed to happen. This has to happen. It's not fun, but it's necessary. Put the sword away. I can just picture Peter a couple chapters earlier. Peter just saying, Jesus, you told us to take a sword with us. What use is, I can't even use the thing. But Peter didn't, didn't understand the heart of God in the way that, well, thankfully, he, he would end up learning. At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. You guys know I've never heard anybody. Like, I've been teaching in your temples, teaching and preaching, sharing the, the same message that, uh, that Jesus has been sharing this whole time, love your enemies and all that stuff. What's with the clubs? What's with the swords? Well, this is just all part of, of my father's plan. And we see this scene end by all of the disciples failing. They all flee. What happened a couple hours earlier? Not me, Jesus, never, never. I'm, I will die for you, Jesus. And then a couple hours later, they're gone. They're gone. They scatter. And so Jesus goes it alone from here. He's taken a trial before the priests, and they, they go, and they, and they just want him dead. They send him to the Roman governor Pilate, and Pilate finds himself under intense public pressure to kill this innocent, and he knows it, innocent and peaceful man. In the midst of all of this happening, Peter finds himself denying that he knows Jesus three times, and then the rooster crows, just as Jesus said, Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, he ends up killing himself. And the others are gone. What a great group to start a worldwide movement, huh? What a fantastic group of guys. What cowards. But only by the grace of God and the strength of this man, God, Jesus, could they stand. And only because of Jesus can you stand. Yet not I, but through who? Christ in me. We sang that today. But after Pentecost, after these guys received the Holy Spirit, these guys actually weren't the same. They still had failings. The Apostle Paul, in fact, he wasn't a part of this group, but the Apostle Paul counts himself to be the chief of sinners. <laughs> but it's boasting in Jesus that he is, he's into because Jesus restores people they are happy to highlight their failures in this story because it's Jesus who is the steady who is the rock who is the salvation Jesus is the strong one he is the mighty one he's the author and the perfecter of our faith and though he was in agony in Gethsemane he kept the father's will and Hebrews 12:2 gives us a glimpse into what kept Jesus in the Father's will. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus came through the darkest night, anguish in his soul, because he trusted the Father. He knew God's promise of a good and wonderful future and the restoration that was to come. He set his heart to obedience because he knew God had the best plan. His father had the best plan of reconciliation and redemption. Guess what? His plans haven't changed, guys. They're still the same. And so it's joy set before him. And that's how he could get through it. And that's how you're going to get through it. And that's how any of us are going to get through anything is because we set our sights on our Father and on his good plan and our hope of the future. Amen? Amen? That man and women and God could be reconciled again. That we could be one, and he welcomes you. He welcomes you into that plan, not just today, but tomorrow morning when you wake up and step out of your bed, and then the next day, and then the next day. And he welcomes you into that plan to say yes to his will and to obey him for the joy set before us. Amen? Praise him for that. That's good. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you, wow. I thank you for this glimpse into your time on this earth and what it shows us about you. Oh, it causes me to just love you even more. Lord, you are powerful and wonderful and and loving and gracious and compassionate, and you're a healer, and we've read all of these wonderful things about you. And then in this moment where you deeply identify with us, oh, our Savior, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for being willing to go through the agony and that reconciliation with people is a joy to you. I thank you that you don't just write us off, but that you would go to this length. And I thank you that despite our failures at times, you can redeem and restore even that and use us. Lord, as we go from this place today, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would not let us forget what we have heard, what we've seen here today. For we have seen you, a glorious God, a wonderful King. Lord, as we leave this place today, may we set our hearts to obedience, and may we see your goodness in it all. Lord, I pray your blessing, your peace, and the joy of the Lord as we leave this place today. We praise you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us. God bless you as you go. If you would like prayer for anything, I invite you to the prayer room just off of the uh, sanctuary here. And um, otherwise, uh, feel free to grab a tag for the Joy Smith Foundation presence. And other than that, see you next week with some fun sweaters. God bless.